the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. According to today's guest, Ian LeVanzant, Learning to trust is one of life's most difficult lessons because trust is not a verb, it's a noun, and it's a state of mind and being. Iyanla is here today to discuss how we can learn to trust ourselves and others and why some of life's trust violations offer us the opportunity for personal growth and healing. Iyanla is a writer and public speaker who is among the most influential spiritual life coaches of our time. She's host and producer of Iyanla Fix My Life on Own, and she's the author of Trust, Mastering the Four Essential Trusts. Welcome, Iyanla. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Iyanla, I'm so happy that you're here today to talk about trust because it's such a complicated issue. When someone's hurt, the first thing that person says is, I'm never going to trust anyone again. I'm never going to let someone hurt me like that again. I don't ever want to feel that pain. So why is it so important for us to trust again? Why not just follow our instincts and protect our heart? Well, trust is is not a one-time event. It's a state of mind. It's a state of being that you hold on to. Uh, The reason that we lose trust is because things don't turn out the way we want them to. We think we have all of the answers and, and that life and everything in life should go the way we think it should go, when in fact, everything that comes into our lives comes into our lives so that we can grow in trust and that we can grow in faith and that we can grow in love and forgiveness. And unfortunately, what happens is those experiences that we have, we use them as excuses not to trust when (laughs) that is the very thing that we need to do. it's, It's an essential thing. You know, we do trust. It's just that we put our trust in the things that we think will bring us pain. You wake up in the morning, you put your feet on the floor, you trust the law of gravity. You get in the shower, you trust that the water will come out. You get in your car, you trust that you'll get where you're going safely. All of those are issues of trust. But when we think about it, when we think about, oh, should I trust that person? Or should I trust myself? Should I trust this decision? That's when we have a problem. You say that in order to move past our pain and trust again, we need something called TNT, tenacity, nerve, and time. When we're in so much pain or we're so broken, how can these elements, tenacity, nerve, and time, help us to heal and move forward? Well, time heals all wounds. So so that's that's just a natural flow of life. I mean, if you cut your finger, it hurts today, but three weeks from now, you won't even remember how you cut it. So time is an essential element of trust. When we're going through a dark place or when we have uh, a difficult experience, tenacity, you've got to know that if it didn't break you then, it's not going to break you. So you have to be able to trust yourself to get through whatever confronts you, whatever that you're going through in the moment. And then nerve. You know, we lose our nerve, you know. We, we, we try, we fashion ourselves to be such tough 
people, but, you know, when difficulty comes, we become punks. And we right. punk out. It's the tenacity to know that you're going to make it through. If you made it through that, what did you use? What did you learn? What do you have in your arsenal that you can pull out to use now? Have the nerve, you know, the mitigated gall to say, this is not going to break me. This is not going to tear me down. And then as time passes, you will learn that everything comes to make you stronger, wiser, better, and not to break you. How much of what you're saying, this self-trust, how much is this is linked to self-love and self-esteem? If you're depleted in that area, are you able then to trust yourself? Well, not if you don't have self-esteem. You know, we, we have to define esteem. Esteem is how I hold myself or see myself or consider myself within myself. Self-esteem has nothing to do with anybody else. So if you have a healthy sense of self-esteem, if you hold yourself as strong, if you hold yourself as uh, loving and, and caring and, give, uh, and, and forgivable and forgiving within yourself, how you hold and see and consider yourself within yourself, then you will learn to trust yourself. But if you're beating yourself up, if you've got a barrage of negative self-talk, if you have a a mirror of negative self-images, it's going to be hard to trust you. And then you know your behaviors. You know what you do and don't do. You know when you keep your word. You know when you've been um, kind to yourself and to others. You know the things that you say to yourself within your your own mind. Mm -hmm. So... It's going to be difficult for you to trust yourself if you don't have a healthy sense of esteem, if you don't have a good uh, self-image, and if you don't value who you are moment by moment by moment. You know, so much of of what happens to us, I know that I've become a, a student of believing that things are for a greater good and that God has a purpose in my life, but for people that are going through a really difficult time and are are having a tough time trusting in life and the process. What do you say to that person to help understand that things do happen for a greater good and that everything will be okay? You know, there's nothing I can say to people who don't already know that and believe that. Absolutely nothing. I can't convince somebody that if you're breathing, that it's a good thing. You know, no matter what you're going through, you're still breathing. I can't say to somebody who's standing up, look, you got two legs. Be grateful. There's nothing I can say to them. I can't say to somebody who doesn't have legs but has a a motorized wheelchair, look, you, you could not have a wheelchair. When somebody doesn't believe, when somebody doesn't trust, there's almost nothing you can say to them that's going to make it any better. Trust is a state of mind and a state of being that grows through our willingness from our willingness to move through our experiences of life. And we, if we think we're on our own, which is why we look at the four essentials, trust yourself, trust God, trust others, and trust the process. And if we take every single experience that we have in life as a reason not to trust, we'll never develop the state of mind or the state of being required to trust. And there's nothing I can say. Yeah, so much of your work is about forgiveness. Is forgiving yourself and others a necessity in order to trust? Absolutely. Because if you keep holding yourself as guilty, you will look for punishment. Guilt always requires punishment, whether you're Mm -hmm. punishing yourself or you're thinking that someone else needs to be punished. So forgiveness is one of the essential tools that supports you in developing a trusting mind and a trusting heart. And people tend to think that when you tell them to forgive another, they, they tend to think that it's almost condoning someone else's behavior. But that's not what forgiveness is, is it? Absolutely not. You know, and if people don't understand forgiveness to today, when that is the, the buzzword in the world, forgive, 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 when we look at all the horrible events that are going on in our lives and in the world. Um, but it, it, what it does is it opens your heart and it opens your mind to a new perspective. You're giving up for change. You're giving over for a new way of thinking and a new way of being. So forgiveness in today's world is absolutely essential. You're one of the most influential spiritual life coaches of our time. 
And you went from being a welfare mother to where you are now. How did this happen? Where did you acquire this wisdom? And and is this anything you could have ever imagined your life to be? Well, I, I imagined I was going to be a criminal defense attorney. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, but you, as you learn and you grow and your life unfolds, I, I think that it moves to our second element of trust, which is trust God. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be hard to trust yourself if you don't have a relationship with something greater than you. You know, whether you call it God or the Christ or higher self, spirit, higher mind, doesn't matter what you call it. But you have to have an intimate relationship with and a connection to something greater than yourself. If not, then you're left to your own human devices. And I think that that was the turning point for me when I realized that I was not in control and that there was something greater and grander than me that had gotten me out of some of the mess I had put myself into. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. when when some of when I looked at some of my choices and realized, oh my God, you know, this really could not have turned out well for me. And if I'm still breathing and I'm still walking, or I've got my motorized wheelchair, I can still see, I can still hear. There's got to be something other than me, outside of me, or within me that is responsible for that. So our second important element of trust is trust God. You've got to trust God, but if you don't know the nature of source, of God, of, of, of you know, a higher mind, if you don't understand the nature of that, it's going to be hard to trust it. So a critical element of learning to trust is learning the nature of something or someone greater than you. Uh, and, and I encourage people to look within because, you know, uh, it's about cause and effect, and the effect always manifest the nature of the cause. We are the effect of the source. We're not the cause. We're the effect. So when we understand the nature of the cause, we can apply that same nature to ourselves. Iana, in our final moments, what would you like to leave our listeners with? Well, you know, what, what I hope people understand, we did a book on forgiveness. And the comments that I got back were, you know, I can't forgive because of this and that. And that's when I said, okay, people are not forgiving because they're not trusting. Mm -hmm. The four essentials, learn to trust yourself, understand your nature as the effect of God in the human body. But then you must learn to trust in God. Trust in God, something greater than you that is already within you. And then trusting others, meaning, you know, people come into our lives for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. The reason usually is to help us grow, to help us learn more about life and who we are and what is and isn't possible. Learn to trust others because everyone comes into your life from a place of love, no matter how badly they behave. They They love you enough to take time out of their life to help you make your life better. And then trust the process. You know, people will pass in and out of your life. Some will behave very well, some won't. (laughs) You will lose things and people and perspective. But the process is designed to grow you into your greatest potential. So I think as we master those four elements, trusting self, trusting God, trusting the process and trusting others, you know, you end up in places that you never thought possible, both within yourself and in the world. The book is Trust, Mastering the Four Essential Trusts. If you would like to learn more about Ianla and her work, you can visit her website, Ianla.com. That's I-Y-A-N-L-A, Ianla.com. Ianla, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing your wisdom and for teaching us the importance of opening up and trusting ourselves, God, others, and life. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. 
Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. Do you believe that there can be a silver lining from tragedy and that blessings come in disguise? Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Your attitude determines how you view a situation and how you move through it. A tragedy is defined as an event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress. We understand the meaning of those words. However, I believe that the important component is how we view the situation. What may be a tragedy to one person is nothing more than a bump in the road to another. While we can agree that events such as death, divorce, or job loss create less than desirable circumstances, each can be viewed and handled differently from one person to the next. The key is that person's outlook. There are people who see the glass half full in all situations and others who see it as half empty. We have a choice about how we view what occurs in our life, and that choice determines how we will transition through a tragic experience. So what is the key to getting through a tragedy? First and foremost, we must recognize that we have a choice in the situation. When a tragedy occurs, often we believe that we are a victim of circumstance and that this will be our lot in life. We think that we will never recover. The key to moving on is to know that you have the power to change the situation. No matter how devastating a circumstance, you have the power to get through it. You are not a victim. The choice is yours. After my mother and sister died and my 23-year marriage ended all within a period of six months, I knew I was at a fork in my life. I could go one way and let the loss and pain defeat me. I could be a victim, or I could go in a different direction and turn the pain into something positive, something with meaning. It was my choice. We all have that choice. Some people create a charity from the loss of a child. Others write books based on their experience, while others make necessary life changes, such as getting sober. Tragedy has the power to transform us and it provides hidden blessings if we take the time to look for them. I think what is allowable is what you need. Initial hurt, sadness, grief are all normal emotions and they should be felt. Never suppress your feelings. The problem occurs when you allow yourself to stay stuck, when you assume the role of victim. It's important to get help if you cannot get going by yourself. Read books or seek counsel that can help you get your head in the game. Reach out to friends and loved ones. Isolation can make the situation worse. Seek professional assistance if you're overwhelmed, depressed, or have suicidal thoughts. Remember, you're not alone and that you have a choice. It is absolutely okay to feel scared and lonely. Don't ever let someone make you feel less than because you're grieving or in pain. Everyone heals in their own time. There's no right or wrong way to grieve, and there's no timetable. A true friend would want to know what's going on in your life. It's never too much to tell someone you love that you're in trouble and need help. You should never be ashamed. There are blessings in every situation, but sometimes you have to look harder to find them. When my father was dying from cancer, while it was a horrible experience, it was also a gift because when I took him for treatment every day, I really got to know him. We talked and we laughed and we spent precious time together. I had to look for that gift, but now I treasure it. How we experience our life comes from how we view what we experience. As Dr. Wayne Dyer said, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. Thanks for spending these minutes with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. It's time for To Your Health. Joining me today is Dr. Lorraine Maida, a functional and integrative medicine physician who practices anti-aging medicine, executive health, hormone replacement therapy, and weight management. She's the author of Vibrance for Life, How to Live Younger and Healthier. Dr. Maida is here today to discuss the top test for thyroid health. Welcome, Dr. Maida. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Joan. Dr. Maida, I talk with so many women who are concerned about their weight or their energy, their hair, memory, you name it, and they think it may be related to thyroid hormone. Is that correct? And what does the thyroid hormone actually do? 
it could be correct. Thyroid hormone is critical to life, and it acts on absolutely every cell of the body. It regulates weight and metabolism, your temperature, your hair, your skin, your nail health, bowel movements, energy. It aids in memory and, and also fertility. And when the thyroid gland is healthy and not under the autoimmune attack, there's an optimal amount of thyroid hormone, and it can convert into an active form and get into the cells so people can feel great. Because when you first make thyroid hormone in the thyroid gland, it's not that active. It just is there for reserve, and when your cells need it, it converts it into an active form. So all of these factors have to be in order to stay slim, sharp, energetic, warm but not hot, and have silky soft skin and hair as well as strong nails and regular bowel movements. And there are a variety of tests that will determine the overall thyroid health, whether or not you have adequate hormone and a good response to that hormone. But you need all of that. You need to know every step in the process, not just one signal. When a person goes to the doctor, the doctor usually screens for thyroid tests, and, and they do something called a TSH. Over the years, you and I have touched upon this topic, and my listeners and readers comment that they think there should be more that's done. What are your thoughts on this? Oh, absolutely. There should be more tests done to determine the overall health of your thyroid and how it's affecting your body and your metabolism. TSH is called thyroid-stimulating hormone. It comes from your pituitary gland, which lies behind the bridge of your nose, and this gland will release the stimulating hormone to tell your thyroid, make some thyroid hormone. So if there's enough thyroid hormone, it won't have to stimulate it so much. So the levels will be in the quote-unquote normal range. However, if there's too much thyroid hormone, that thyroid hormone would shut off the pituitary gland from making TSH, and TSH will be very, very low. TSH only rises in an attempt to stimulate the thyroid to make more hormone. While it serves as a screening tool, it's really not enough because it's really not telling you how much thyroid hormone you actually have. Is it converting into the active form and is it actually working? And is your thyroid under attack or are there other issues that will affect your thyroid going forward? Doctor, if the thyroid is so important, why do you believe they don't test the way you suggest they should? Well, this is what's taught, and everybody's in a cost-saving mode right now. And we're taught that if TSH is normal, you don't have to go further. But we know a little bit more now, and it does take a lot more time, and it is a little bit more costly, but not really very, very costly. I think that everybody should be doing these tests, but it's not the standard of care. And this is why functional medicine is a systems approach and this is why functional medicine exists. When people don't get satisfaction elsewhere, they want to look deeper because they know something's not right, but they just don't know what to do about it. So I do more tests because the top tests are free T3, free T4, reverse T3, thyroid antibodies, and iodine. Just think about it, Joan. Autoimmune Hashimoto's thyroiditis is the most common cause of hypothyroidism in the U.S., but nobody measures the antibodies, and they don't because they don't really know what to do about it because they think you can't do anything about it. But I know we talked about this in a different segment. You can manage autoimmune disorders, and I have people who've had antibodies to their thyroid and never developed hypothyroidism, meaning low thyroid. Their thyroid gland wasn't destroyed, their immune system's in check. The other thing is that iodine is essential to make thyroid hormone, and that's the world, most common cause of hypo or low thyroid in the world, yet nobody checks iodine. Too much or too little iodine's no good. I have so many people coming in on iodine supplements and they don't even know what their levels are. I had a woman come in with an iodine level of 10,000. I mean, that's crazy. So you know, be careful when you just hear about these supplements that just say, oh, everybody should be on iodine or everybody should be on selenium. All of these are fine, but there's a Goldilocks, not too much, not too little. Everything has to be in balance. If you actually think about what you're saying, I understand wanting to save money on the front end, but in the long run, 
doing those tests would be so much more cost-effective than having to manage the diseases that result from not knowing what's going on in the body. Absolutely. And you have to realize that our current system almost doesn't allow the doctors to do that anymore. I remember the days where I could order whatever test I wanted, and now uh, some things are being questioned because it's just not the standard of care. Sometimes I don't understand it myself. But to me, this all makes so much sense because when people come in and they're suffering and we find out the root cause and we go deeper and we look deeper, we avoid a lot of problems. They start feeling good again and they're healthier, they're productive, it helps their relationships, it just helps their overall life. So Lorraine, to do that then, what are some of the other tests that should be ordered that most doctors don't measure? Well, you have to understand that other things, if if you measure any hormone, thyroid hormone or sex hormones or any hormone, hormones have to be carried through the bloodstream on a protein. So thyroid has to be carried through on thyroid binding globulin. Now, you're going to measure the thyroid hormone that's bound to that protein and only some of it is free to get into the cell. Just think of workers in a train. If they're inside the train, they're not free to go to work. If these hormones are bound to the binding globulin, they're not free to get in the cell and do their job. So it makes sense to measure the free hormone because that's actually what's working. You want to, because the typical tests measure both bound and free. So T4 is your actual thyroid hormone made from the gland. That tells you is your gland working. That is not that active, then you measure the T4, and when your cells need oomph and they need some thyroid hormone, they're going to take off an iodine, it becomes T3, and that's that's the active hormone. That's your gas pedal. That's what gives you the get up and go. And you want to measure the free T3, not the stuff bound to protein, because that's not going to be active. So free T3 and free T4 are very important. And when your body's under stress, it does not want to be stimulated. It needs to rest. So think of T3, free T3, as the gas pedal. If you're suffering from a nutritional deficiency, stress, trauma, surgery, infections, or toxins, your body is going to make what they call reverse T3. That's like putting a block underneath the gas pedal. So it's going to allow your body to get the rest that it needs. And reverse T3 being high is something that's a signal there's something there's some distress in your body and then as a detective you go on and you try to look for that so these are the tests that i do and i want to know how the thyroid is working in every single step of that process lorraine thank you so much for joining us if you would like to learn more about dr meta and her work you can visit her website howtoliveyounger.com And as always, to hear more from Dr. Mehta, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Lorraine. We'll be right back. Do you listen to the radio for your news and entertainment? Are you a musician? Did you use tapes, CDs, or recorded lectures to learn something when you were in school? Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized. As a professional organizing firm, we help clients organize their lives as well as their homes. We specialize in serving young families and clients who are chronically disorganized. Some of our clients are auditory processors, meaning that they take in information about the world through their ears. They have to hear something to understand it. Organizing solutions for an auditory processor need to accommodate this preference. One technique that works well is to organize to music. Depending on the task and the client's taste, we match the music to fit the situation. Often, that means jazz, rock, or oldies. Another technique is to literally talk to yourself while organizing. Narrating a task allows you to hear the rhythm of the steps to the task, the words inside your head, and the sound of your voice in your ears. For more organizing ideas that fit your life, call me. I'm Gail Gruenberg, and I can help bridge the gap between wanting to get organized and actually doing it. Call me at 201-364-6833 or visit my website at lgorganized.com. Less than 2% of America's population volunteers to defend our nation. Though we rarely see them, we live the benefits of these heroes' sacrifices and the freedom we know and the safety we feel. 
Each and every day, the Gary Sinise Foundation serves our nation by honoring our defenders, veterans, first responders, and their families. We do this by creating and supporting unique programs designed to entertain, educate, inspire, strengthen, and build communities. The Gary Sinise Foundation has grown because the need has never been greater. Together, we'll improve the lives of thousands of American heroes and their families day in, day out, all year long. While we can never do enough to show our gratitude to our nation's defenders, our veterans, our first responders, and the families who stand by them, we can always do a little more. Join us. Visit GarySiniseFoundation.org. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. My next guest, Elaine Pofeld, provides information and resources to help entrepreneurs create a successful business. She joins us today to share some of the wisdom from her book, The Million Dollar One Person Business. Elaine is a writer for Forbes.com and was a senior editor at Fortune Small Business Magazine. Her work has been published in Money, Fortune, Inc., and Good Housekeeping, among others. Welcome, Elaine. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Joan. It's great to be here. So, Elaine, you were a guest on the show a while back, and today I want to continue our conversation about helping entrepreneurs start and grow a business. Your work has been focused on that topic, helping companies and businesses grow into the million-dollar range. From what you've learned through all of the research that you've conducted, what are some of the biggest challenges entrepreneurs face when starting a business? One of the biggest challenges, Joan, is getting committed. A lot of people feel like they would like to start a business, but have trouble getting themselves to sit down and do it. And what I would say as an answer to that challenge is the biggest step you can take if you truly want to start a business is to show up for yourself. Find some way, whether it's 10 minutes a day, one hour a week, that you commit yourself to working on something that will move the business forward, and that will help give you the confidence and reinforcement to keep going with it. One of the biggest challenges, and and I know I faced this when I started my company, is going from a steady income to a fluctuating income. How long does it take for an entrepreneur to build a steady, livable income? It really varies by the business, Joan. What I would say is in an ideal world, where you haven't just lost your job and you have some options, it's best to ease into starting a business so you're not completely leaving the steady income behind. A lot of the entrepreneurs in the book started their business on the side, in the evenings, and on weekends, and waited a while until they quit their job. A good example is Laszlo Nadler, who is from New Jersey. He sells planners on Amazon Daybooks. And he worked for Bank of America. He was a project manager, main breadwinner in his family, and he couldn't just quit. So he worked on it for two years before he got the business to a six-figure income and then was able to leave his job safely without losing his home or all the other things we fear when we're thinking about starting a business. And, and um, he's at $2 million in revenue now. So we're talking about that fear of not having a steady income, but what does it take to get a business up and running? Does a person need to have a substantial amount of money in which to invest? Generally not. If you're buying a franchise or something like that, yes, then you do need money. And um, there are a lot of different financing programs for that sort of thing. But for the types of businesses I'm writing about, generally, I would say the cost was less than $5,000. And people often started for less than $1,000. To start a business today, you pretty much need a computer and a phone. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're if you're doing a product, you might need some money to make a prototype and um, a small batch to test it out in the market to see if it will sell. But you, you don't need thousands and thousands of dollars. And in fact, I would encourage people to spend as little as they reasonably can to get it going. Don't take out all of your savings from your retirement fund and put it into the business because you don't know if it will work out. Do small experiments to see if there is a market for what you're selling. If you sell a professional service, the overhead is is very low to get started. I mean, I'm a freelance writer, for instance. There is virtually no 
overhead to get started, just the computer and the phone um, and internet service. And then people give you assignments and that sort of thing. And, and there's not really a cost to doing them. So it, it can be quite inexpensive. And I would say the same is true for many types of professional services businesses where someone already is in that field. So if you're an attorney in a big firm and you go out on your own, there shouldn't be too much cost of getting set up. Um, if you're trying a brand new field, you may need to get a credential. And in that case, it can be costly, like you know, the cost of going back to school. I know when I was starting to build this media platform and I first incorporated, it was the same time that I was getting divorced and I didn't have any capital to invest. So I found sponsors and I was in the black from day one with my company because I, first of all, I, I took my time with it, but I, I found that was the way I found my funding, but I, I didn't invest a dime of personal money in the creation of my company. That's a really creative solution. And if you have an audience, there are a lot of sponsors who probably want to reach it. Um, that That's the case with a lot of podcasters where they, they build a niche audience and it doesn't have to be that big to attract a sponsor if that sponsor wants to reach that audience. So I know one of the uh, the important things in running a business, obviously, is to have some working capital. How much of a cash cushion do you believe a company should have? And what are some of the ways that a company can create this? In a perfect world, there's sort of a rule of thumb that you should have at least six months of working capital in the bank as well as living expenses. But in reality, most people don't have that much. So you need to think about how you will pay the bills for both the business and yourself and your family if something dries up and then come up with a number. You know, maybe you could get another job or drive for Uber or something like that in a pitch. You need to have your plan and then you can figure out how much you actually need. But I do think everyone should should try to build that cash cushion so that they have it in case there's a recession or something really unexpected that um, you know, the blind signs, everybody. Um, and how do you get it? It's really by trying to keep your expenses down in both your personal life and in the business. Try try not to spend money unnecessarily. I always see a temptation with people when they go into business. It's kind of like the back-to-school syndrome where, you know, they show you their brand-new fancy desk that they just bought and the outfit, the office they just outfitted, and they might spend a couple of thousand dollars on it. That's money that could have been spent on something like marketing. So use your old battered desk, whatever one you have in your <laughs> house, and... Uh-huh. and 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 by that, when you, you really made a big sale or something that justifies it, but don't spend money you really don't need. Now, if you have a public-facing business, it's a little different, right? So you might have to have a pretty decent-looking office, say you're a financial planner or something like that. You can't do that really from your bedroom. But there are a lot of um, co-working spaces that have different vibes, so you could check out several of those or... Um, there are all kinds of flexible office space um, centers, business incubators, where you can rent space and have access to a conference room. Um, Regis is a good example, and not spend a ton of money on maintaining the presence that the business needs to get clients. Elaine, I know I hear this all the time, and I'm sure that you have as well. When you're a business owner, and until you get to a point that your revenues are so high and you can hire a sales team, we have to sell ourselves. We have to sell our services. We have to sell our products. We have to sell ourselves, literally, in some instances. But most people say they hate selling. It's something that they really fear. So what have you learned that can help someone overcome that fear and really do what they need to do in order to make the company grow? You're so right about that, Joan. People hate selling. It just makes them cringe. I think you should focus on selling without selling. The ideal scenario is people come to you and ask you to do something and then ask you how much you would charge for it, right? So part of that is becoming really proficient at whatever you do because that brings about word of mouth and then people come to you. In the beginning, if people don't know about you, you can build a strong online presence. You should you should definitely have a website. You should be on the major social media so people can find you. You should learn a little bit about search engine optimization so 
when you're on those, people are on those social media and someone puts a keyword into LinkedIn looking for someone who does say it is SEO, say that's what you do, that, that you come up. Um, it, also, doing informational interviews with other people in your field can be helpful. They can often tell you the unwritten rules of how to get work in that field. And, you know, in my field of journalism, a lot of it is through networking. And sometimes people think networking is sort of a, 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 a it's time that they can't afford. But in my field, it's essential. I need to get out there. I need to go to meetings. I need to have coffee with people because that's how I find out about the hidden pipelines of work. It might be very different in your industry, but you need to know how work is handed out to people in that industry. Um, if you if it's consumer facing, maybe it's getting yourself out at community events. I know I see on your Facebook, Joan, you're often at community events you know, mm-hmm. with firefighters and all kinds of interesting people from the community. Being known and being seen, setting up a table at a local 5K or parade or whatever it is, is a way to get the word out. If you're selling a product like a food product, even uh, you know children's clothing, it's some sort of a tangible product. Um, but you, you need to be visible to the people that would buy from you. The book is The Million Dollar One Person Business, Make Great Money, Work the Way You Like, Have the Life You Want. If you'd like to get more information about Elaine and her work, you can visit ElainePofelt.com. Elaine, thank you so much for joining us. And I want to invite all of our listeners to attend a special event that we're having on September 26th. It is a live Conversations with Joan event, and Elaine is going to be my guest. We'll be presenting it at the New Jersey Association of Women Business Owners Statewide Conference that's being held in Long Branch. And you can get more information about that on my website, cyacyl.com slash events. Elaine, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. Always a pleasure. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We think about great sources of omega-3 fats as a way to be well, a way to control inflammation. But what about the use of omega-3s in fertility and pregnancy? I'm Dr. Michael Magwood, chiropractor specializing in prenatal and pediatric care. Our lesson today is simple. Fertility is improved when proper supplies of omega-3s are ingested, particularly through flax and fish sources. The science shows us that there is a higher conception rate and a lower rate of miscarriage for moms using omegas. DHA supports the nervous system. EPA supports the circulatory system. Increased blood flow to the uterus and decreased sensitivity to the hormone prolaxin, which can suppress ovulation. All of these things matter, and the more omega-3s we get, the better health we have. This is designed to be consumed before conception. In fact, omega-3s have also been shown to support moms at risk of postpartum depression. Food sources of great omega-3 fats are wild fish, flaxseed oil, hemp seeds, pumpkin seeds, sesame seeds, and walnuts. For more information about nutritional health, including omega-3 fats, please contact our offices at Pure Balance Center in Clifton, New Jersey, and in New York City at purebalancecenter.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Allison Carmen, a business consultant, life coach, and author of The Gift of Maybe, offering hope and possibility in uncertain times. Allison's podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, provides simple tools to reduce daily stress and worry. She's here today to discuss how to let go, even if only for a moment. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for joining us. Oh, Joan, thank you so much for having me. So, Allison, many people have trouble letting things go. These things that we hold on to, they consume us and they keep us from moving forward. As you quote in your podcast, 
We refuse to put down what we carry in order to open the door. Why do you think we do this? Well, I don't think we do it on purpose. I think what happens is that we wake up in the morning and something will happen. Um, Something could happen with our kids or we have a stress at work and then we just go into the next moment and then something could happen with a friend and then we go into the next moment and we just go moment to moment and we just accumulate stress within us and we don't realize that if we're carrying everything from yesterday, the day before, the day before that, we don't enter the moment with, with a freedom and we don't enter the moment with the ability to enjoy what's in front of us and to create something new. And this idea actually came to me through a story that Mark Nepo wrote in his book, The Book of Awakening. And he tells a story about a friend who went to a hardware store and he gathered gallons of red paint and wooden mixing sticks and drop cloths and brushes. And he was carrying it to his house because he was going to paint his house. And uh, he kept trying to open the door. But because he didn't put the stuff down, he couldn't open the door, and he ended up falling back, and he had red paint all over him. And for me, it's such a great symbol that what happens is we don't realize that when we don't put things down, we are falling back instead of moving forward, that we really have the ability to put things down and enter the moment new. And even if we just do it for a moment, like sometimes I could be going out for lunch and I'll have an issue with one of my clients. What I do in my mind is I use every doorway as this thought in my mind, I could put this down. So before I leave my apartment, I'll say I could put this down right now because I'll see that door and then I'll go out for lunch. And because I put it down, I have the spaciousness in my mind and something new will pop into my head to help my client. And we don't realize that that's the thing that's really happening. We're accumulating stress, but we're also we don't have any space in our mind for anything new to come to us. So we're not aware that we're accumulating. We're not aware that we're holding on to stress. And we don't even know that we could put it down. So the best thing people could do is actually use the doorways. There's a door to our apartment. There's a door in our office. There's a car door. We have all these doors all the time. So what's so amazing is that we could create this awareness. As we open a door, put it down. Put down what just happened with your husband. Put down what just happened with your boss. Enter this moment new. See if you could just be present. Through presence, we can enjoy the moment. And through presence, we actually become our most creative selves. That's where our lives change. When we put down what happened to us in the last moment, and we allow ourselves to enter into the next moment new. And that's such a great practice because, as you say, even if it's only for a moment, that moment turns into hours, and then those hours turn into days and weeks and months and years. And I think when we approach things, we always think, well, I'm going to stop this behavior and that'll be it forever. But that's not really the way it works. It's, it's taking those moments, as you say, and changing the way that we approach life and the, and the way that we do things so that it lasts. Absolutely, because we think life is this grand puzzle. Right. So we're just going to try to finish that puzzle and fix everything and the puzzle will be done and everything will be great. But life doesn't work like that. Even if you do figure out a situation, there's always going to be another problem. Things are always moving. Life is always complicated. So we can't always figure everything out. And that's why putting things down, even for a moment, is one of the best practices we could do because we're like, I can't figure out this problem in this moment, but I'm going out for lunch, but I'm going into a business meeting, but I'm doing this, but I'm doing that. And if we could put down the thing that's hold, that we're holding on to, maybe a fight we had or a problem we had and enter into this next moment clear and say, I'm just going to put it down for now and enter this moment. I'll pick it up later. We could really change things. And we could also feel the preciousness of life. That's the thing that we miss the most. When I'm carrying everything from the entire day, the most beautiful sunset could be in front of me. The most beautiful friend could be in front of me. A great business opportunity could be in front of me. I won't really see it. And even if I do do see it, I won't enjoy it because my heart is so tight from what happened yesterday. So again, this visualization, we could actually visualize, I'm entering through this story. I'm going to put this down and I'll pick it up later enter the moment new and create something new in your life or just a new experience. And that's what life is, a string of beautiful experiences if we allow ourselves to be present enough to what is before us. Allison, 
What's a final thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Again, I know I've repeated myself, but think of all the doorways in your life. Every time you cross a doorway, try to create the awareness. What am I holding on from yesterday, last month, last year? What is causing this tightness in my heart, this stress? Can I put it down? Because if we put it down, like just like that story I told, if we put down the brushes and the paint, we'll have space and we'll have the ability to enter the moment new and to pick up something else. That's what we all want. If we want our lives to change, we need to put down the hurt, the stress, the worry, and allow ourselves to have this space within us, to have this new experience, to create this new opportunity. And I can almost guarantee that when we start to do this and we live with less stress and more joy, life truly starts to change moment to moment to moment. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Allison or if you'd like to listen to her podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, you can visit her website, alisoncarmen.com. And to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Allison. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. It's pretty amazing when you consider that seven years ago, we didn't have the treatments we have now. We cure 80% of children with cancer. Go back 50 years, we were curing 20 to 30%. This is the miracle story of modern medicine. We understand what makes this cancer tick. And of course, without donors from around the world, this just couldn't happen. There's one thing we're focused on, and that's beating this thing. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>